1848, more than a decade before the Civil War, a married slave couple embarked on a harrowing escape from Macon, Georgia. Ellen and William Kraft had a desire to have children one day, but knew that as slaves there was no guarantee that they would be able to keep their children. William Kraft, at age 16, witnessed his 14-year-old sister torn from their family and sold to other slave owners. William knew that as slaves, their family was not their own. Ellen's mother was an interracial slave owned by her father, Major James Smith of Clinton, Georgia, a married man, and Ellen was the result of his obvious infidelity. But infidelity is too pedestrian a term to describe the actions of Major James Smith because he believed in his heart that Ellen's mother was his property and that he had the right to use her as he pleased. Ellen was born with a fair complexion and often mistaken for the daughter of Major James Smith's wife. Her, extents, uh, her existence was a source of constant strife in the Major's home, and when Ellen was a teenager, she was given as a wedding gift to his other daughter. The Major's new son-in-law had a plantation in Macon, Georgia. It is here that, it, that Ellen would meet William. They would fall in love. They would marry. And ultimately, they would devise a plan to escape. The plan was to use Ellen's fair skin to their advantage. William cut her hair short, placed a top hat on her head, and spectacles over her eyes. She set aside her slave clothing and put on the suit of an affluent southern plantation slave owner, a slightly disabled man who needed the help of his black slave, William, to travel north to the great city of Philadelphia. Ellen and William would hide in plain sight with their eyes firmly set on their prize, freedom and family. We will come back to this story as we, as we continue our, our sermon here, um, but this is a terrible time in our nation's history. Um, it is part of our nation's history. But the owning of another person, um, we, we sung about it here uh, a second ago, that the, the word of God has the power to set slaves free here. And this story of William and, and Ellen Craft is, is not a very unique story. There were many, many um, black slaves who escaped bondage through the Underground Railroad. Uh, Pastor Don loved the Underground Railroad, uh, and Julie and I and, and her, her mom and dad and the kids, we had the opportunity this year to, uh, to head out to Cincinnati and see the, um, the Underground Railroad Museum. And that's where we first heard this story of uh, William and Ellen Craft uh, here. But they had a goal in mind. Um, they had their eyes firmly fixed on a prize. And that prize was freedom and family. We'll talk about one other aspect of their focus in a second. But that brings us to where uh, Ted left us last week. Um, as we are studying the book of, of Colossians here, and we are in chapter 3, the first four, uh, first four verses talk about our focus. The fact that we are to be focused on Christ. We are to set our mind on things above. And... Ted shared with us last week that focus changes everything. And if you look at your, your outline here, we have a few things to remember from Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through chapter 3, verse 4. And the first thing that we should remember is that we need to let go of legalism. And that's going to be very important this morning because we're going to get two lists of sins that we can struggle with that we struggle through. And the temptation will be, as our second point here, um, is that our failure is guaranteed if we rely on ourselves instead of Christ. The tendency with these lists are to justify ourselves. To be able to look at this list and just check them off and say, you know what? I'm good. Jesus confronted many 
in the Gospels who sought to justify themselves with a list of good things that they did. We need to rely on Christ instead of relying on ourselves. And finally, as, as, as Ted shared last week, the focus on Jesus, our focusing on Jesus, changes everything. And we come to Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 11. I'm going to read it here for us. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these things, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, malice, wrath, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we pray as we focus on your word this morning, Lord, as we sang a second ago, that our hearts would be open, that our ears would be open, and God, God, ultimately that our eyes would be open and we would see you. In Jesus' name, amen. So that we would see Jesus. And again, this is where Ted left us off last week. This picture of Jesus sitting, sitting at the right hand of the Father, in glory, sitting where he is supposed to be. And I would make a case for us this morning, based on what we've learned last week, is that that should be our ultimate focus. That is where our gaze needs to be firmly set, up in heavenly things. And we start here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, and we have a contrast here. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And we have the word therefore in there as well, but we also have this, this idea of earthly. We're going to have a contrast between the heavenly things and the earthly things. I would, I would say to you this morning that these verses here, verses 5 through 11, are a bridge. We have the words in, in chapter 5, put to death, or verse 5, put to death, therefore. And from that statement, we have to say, okay, what came previous? And that is that we are to set our focus firmly on Christ. But based on this statement, what must die? He says, put to death, therefore. As we're going to see next week in verse 12, it says, put on then. So we have to say to ourselves, in between this section, if we are looking before it and saying because of the previous statement, we're to put something to death, we're going to learn here what we need to put to death. And then after it says, put on then, so after we have killed what we need to kill, what do we then replace it with? So this section is a bridge between these two sections here. And that's not to say that it's not important. I, I, growing up in Philadelphia and having to travel to New Jersey a lot, bridges are very, very important, okay? Without a bridge, you can't get from one place to the other. So this section here is a bridge, and he's going to contrast what was said before with what is said now, and he's going to contrast this difference between heaven and earthly things. Now, it is easy for us as Christians and as people who live in this world to get our focus messed up. Um, Ted left us last week, and I'm going to mention a lot of what, what Ted mentioned last week because he set me up so beautifully, but he ended here with his recap talking about Peter. And he said, when Peter stepped out of the boat, when Peter stepped out of the boat and was going to walk on water to Jesus, he started to look around and he saw the waves and he saw everything crashing down around him. He saw the storm. He began to get scared and he lost his focus 
on Christ and began to sink. This is the danger for all of us. Is that yes, have we accepted Christ? We have if we are reading this and we, we believe that Jesus Christ has died for our sins. We believe he is the only way. We have stepped out of the boat in a very real way. But now we are living in this earth and there are things that seek to shift our focus away from where it should be. And Paul shares here and he says, put to death these earthly things. I think the question we have to ask is, how? How do we put to death something? What is the process? And, and here's where it gets a little complicated. Because this is an active statement. It's not passive. I think of the Apostle Paul in his other writings, and he talks about the struggle that he has in this world. You see, the Christian life is not meant to be a spectator sport. It's not like we just sit on the sidelines and say, okay, God, we're saved. Let's just wait till we get to heaven. We're just sitting here. We're going to sit back. Our ticket's been punched. We're just waiting for the train to come in. There is an active struggle that happens here. Because as the Bible says, we are sojourners in this world. We are aliens in this world. This world is not our home. Our eyes are fixed on heaven. Our focus is towards heaven. But while we are here, the struggle is real. Paul talks about the internal turmoil that he has. He says, oh, this, this evil body of flesh that I'm in. He says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. He calls himself wretched. There is a struggle that goes on in each and every one of us. But only if we know Christ. I think the second question we have to ask is, who? Who can put to death these things? Who is qualified to put to death these things? And this is where the bad news comes for those of you who don't know Christ. Because you're stuck. You are still stuck in your sin. See, you can try to change your behavior. You can try to give some of these things up. You can try to do it in your own power. But as Pastor Stephen shared, the harder we try, the more we fail. See, without Christ, you're just trying to do behavior modification. It's not going to work. If you're only relying on yourself to kill sin, it's not going to work. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to turn there as well. Hang on one second. Matthew chapter 16 in verse... 24. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory, in the glory of his Father. Then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here today who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming. Uh, this passage here is, is, is foundational to the Christian faith here. Jesus says, if any of you would follow me, if any of you would come after me, you need to be willing to do what I am going to do. You need to take up your cross and follow me. This is where we come to our big idea for today. Our big idea is only disciples of Christ can put sin to death. 
Only disciples of Christ can put sin to death. Jesus is very clear. He says two words. Follow me. What does it mean to follow Christ? Well, it means to take up your cross and deny yourself. Well, deny myself? How do I deny myself? What are the things that I need to deny that are inside of myself? Because guess what? Some of you are sitting here and saying, hey, for 18 years, self's not been too bad. Not been, not been terrible, not been great. Some of you say, hey, listen, for the past 30 years, self hasn't been too bad. 40, 50, 60 years, self hasn't been too bad. I'm still alive. Most people like me. What's the problem? Well, the problem is what we're going to get into in Colossians here, that the wrath of God is coming. Jesus tells his disciples here, listen, someday I'm coming back. And if you are found with sin still in your heart, if you have not followed me, if you are seeking to save your own life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. See, this is what it means to have your life hidden in Christ. That Jesus Christ took your sins to the cross. And he died with your sins. Your sins died along with him. He rose victorious from the grave, proving that he has the power to kill both sin and death. The only way for us as disciples, the only way for anyone to kill sin is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. See, because the bottom line is this, your first point here, it's a matter of life and death. This is not a flippant decision that someone makes. This is a decision that can save your life, but only if you deny yourself and put your faith and trust in the one who has the power to save you. This is the only way you can do it. You cannot strive on your own to accomplish this task. It is absolutely and utterly impossible. So what earthly things, what earthly things are we to put to death here? And here we come to our first list here, and I know some of you are excited because we're like, all right, a list. We're excited. We got a list here of things to work on. Here we go. What are the things that we are to put to death? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now you need to understand for these, for these Greeks here, we always want to go back. We always want to go back and say, okay, uh, we've got a good structure here. We've got you know, where we're at in the passage here. This is a bridge bridge passage here, but we want to look back and say, what did this mean to the original reader? And we have to say that these are individuals who lived in the Greco-Roman world. And in the Greco-Roman world, these types of sins were not only rampant, but they were seen as worship to their gods. Sexual immorality, evil desires, passions, Covetousness, these were all things that defined their very act of worship. And Paul addresses it here and he says, listen, this is idolatry. Now isn't it nice that we live in America and we don't deal with these sins, right? We don't have these American gods. We still have these gods today. These gods have been around for as long as people have been around after the fall of Adam and Eve. Sexual immorality, passion, impurity, evil desires. What is sexual immorality? Sexual immorality is exactly what it says. God created something great. He created sex. We're going to say it, okay? Created sex. He created sex with specific boundaries and purposes. And sex is to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. 
in the confines of marriage. That is God's design for sex. Unfortunately, as human beings, we have a tendency to take God's design and quite literally pervert it. And this is the issue that Paul is addressing here. He's saying, listen, this shouldn't be true of you if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. It needs to be killed. Impurity. Impurity deals more with the the mind and the heart when it comes to sexual immorality and passion and evil desires. This is the inner motivation. Sexual immorality may be the outworking of it, but impurity looks at the heart of the matter. Evil desires, evil desires are where these things start. It's where they come from. The desire to gratify yourself. The desire for pleasure. And then finally, covetousness, greed. This desire for more and more and more. I want you guys to to imagine just rampant, just rampant immorality. And this is what characterized the Greeks and the people of Colossae that were outside of the church. Paul's going to tell us in a second Not only does this characterize the people that are around them, this characterized what they, the people in the church of Colossae here, what they used to be. He says, put to death these things. Kill them. Well, how do we do that? Well, we set our focus on Christ. We rip these things off of us. These things should not be true. Here's a good example. Look at Christ and then look at this list and say, does this list describe Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. If the standard that we are striving to imitate, if the individual that we have our focus set on, if he is the goal, none of these things should be true in our lives. But as Christians, sometimes we try behavior modification. And we think to ourselves, oh, this is the issue. If I just get rid of this little device here, I'll be okay. And then we think to ourselves, you know what, TV. TV is the issue. If we get rid of TV, that ain't going to be a problem. The internet. The internet is the issue. My computer, I need to get rid of my computer and I will be pure. Guys, as I shared before, these sins existed long before any of this technology existed. The problem is inside your heart. We need to change our desires. Paul addresses this in another place. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, I'll just read them for you. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. Here we go. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you, know, or do you not know that he who has joined to the prostitute becomes one with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit with you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God. You know, men, women, how many of us have lied to ourselves? 
How many of us have lied to ourselves in specifically this area of sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, and we think to ourselves, I'm not hurting anyone else. This is, this is just me. Like, I, I can have this little, little section here. I can have Christ, but I can also have this little section here. My wife doesn't know about it. My husband doesn't know about it. My kids don't know about it. It's just me. God says, listen. You are sinning. Yes, it is just you. You are sinning against your own body. But guess what? Your body is not your own. If you have been raised with Christ, your body belongs to God. Your affection, your focus, your desire needs to be for him and nothing else. Anything that takes our focus off of him, high and lifted up, is idolatry. It's idolatry. Our God is holy. Part of the picture that we read last week is the fact that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is in the presence of the holy, the holiest of holies, and he is worthy to sit there. And we have been raised with him. We are to be holy as he is holy. Rip these things off. They shouldn't be a part of us. When I was a real estate agent, uh, we were, uh, I was up in Tunkhannock and we were surveying a, a piece of land off of Anderson Road there. And uh, we were trying to find the markers of, of where the, the boundary lines were. And uh, the surveyor was out there and he was kind of messing around in the weeds and the, and the trees and everything. And by accident, he stepped into a beehive. And uh, the gentleman who was looking to purchase the property, uh, he ran away because he was allergic. And the surveyor started to yell, I'm allergic too. And I have no idea where the wife was at that point. She probably ran away with her husband. But I stood there as the only one who wasn't allergic. And do you know what I did? I was right around the surveyor. He had bees all over him. I started to grab them, rip them off, step on them. Grab them, rip them off, step on them. By God's grace, I wasn't stung. But I saw that man in that situation, and I thought to myself, get it off. Like that was the only words that were going through my mind. Get it off. Paul's telling Christians the same thing here. Put it to death. Rip it off. Step on it. Not your phone, not your TV, not your computer, your heart. Your desire, the innermost parts of you that don't look like Christ, tear them off. How do we do this? There's only one way we can do it. Again, as disciples of Jesus Christ, by the work that he has done on the cross, through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, it's the only way we can put to death sin. You have been given an incredible power. You have been given an incredible responsibility. You are the salt and light of this world and these things should not define you. They should not define me. I will tell you, I've struggled with each and every one of these. I think all of us have at one time or another in our lives. And I'll tell you, the only thing that helps is changing my focus. That my body is not my own that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, the great price that was paid for my sin. And I don't want to continue in it because of my love for God, because of the focus that I have, not because I want to be a better person, not because I want to gain a greater standing with God, not because I want God to give me what I want. It's because of the price that was paid. Rip them off, kill them. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse six, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Paul gives us two warnings here. The first one, he says, is 
because of sin, the wrath of God is coming. See, there is still a judgment to come. Our holy God will return someday. And as we read in the book of Matthew, he will judge everyone according to what they have done. Because these earthly things exist in our life, because the problem of sin still exists, the wrath of God is coming. I've had people mad at me. My wife's been mad at me. Ryan, you've probably been mad at me before, right? Yeah, my kids have been mad at me. My parents have been mad at me. My friends. Stephen, you've probably been mad at me before. He won't admit it, but they've been mad at me. Good. He was probably mad at me this week. I'm going to lose my voice here in a second. I'm going to start talking like Coach Chow. Um, and so I, <clears throat> I, I know, I know that I can be frustrating at times. But the wrath of Stephen, the wrath of my wife, the wrath of, wrath of my kids, the wrath of, of my parents, except maybe my mom. No, I'm only kidding. The wrath of my parents is nothing compared to the wrath of God. The Bible's very clear. What's the worst thing that man can do to you? He can kill your body. Do not fear man. Fear God who has the power to destroy not only the body, but the soul. Our God is holy. We should be holy. Payment will come due someday. And the question each and every one of us has to ask is, what will my bill say? See, if I had a list of all of my sins, like a, like a receipt that I get, or the bill that I get from a restaurant, it would all be there. And the amount due at the end, it'd be death. But praise God that Jesus has the ability to stamp that bill and say, paid in full. I don't want to go back. You want to go back? I don't want to go back. Why do I keep putting things on that bill? Should I sin all the more that grace should abound so that my bill is longer? Certainly not. You once walked in them. Don't go back. Could you imagine um, living in the 1800s and being one of these slaves down in the South? And you earn your freedom. You get to freedom. And you're sitting there one day and you say, you know what? I should go back. You know what? It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. No. Don't go back. Could you imagine my surveyor friend saying, you know what? Uh, I got all the bees off of me and I didn't get stung. You know, let me try that again. No. Don't go back. We do, though. We do time and time again. And this brings us to our second point. It's out with the old and on with the new. It's out with the old and on with the new. This is what we're called to as Christians. Jesus rescued us from the sin of idolatry, from the bondage of sin. And we once walked in these things. That is the old man. This is, this is the book of Romans talking about the first Adam, the first man, the one that we were born in, the fact that we were born in sin. The great news is that there has been a second Adam, a new man that has redeemed the world. Instead of bringing sin he bring, and death, he brings life and love. Put away the old things. Put on the new. We need to set our focus on heaven and not look back. Colossians chapter 8, verses 8 and 9 here. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeking... <clears throat> I'm sorry, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And we get another list here. 
anger, malice, lying to one another, slander, obscene talk. Second list, and we love lists. You know what, if I look at my own heart, I can be an angry person. It can come out. And the scary thing is sometimes it doesn't always come out of me. It just kind of sits there and festers and festers and festers. Two lists here. The first one dealt with idolatry. The second one deals with one another. Does this remind us of any principle in scripture that we are to adhere to? Maybe a commandment. How we deal with God and how we deal with others. What is the greatest commandment? Somebody tell me what the greatest commandment is. Love you, Lord your God with everything that's in you. What is the second one? I'm going to tell you this right now. You can't get to the second one without first understanding the first one. One comes before two. Your relationship with God needs to be right. Your focus needs to be right. The things that, that take your focus from God need to be ripped away and torn away. Then you can start to deal with others. Now, this is hard because our lives aren't easy, right? I mean, people make our lives complicated. They make them frustrating, okay? My dad, for years, uh, dad's 65th birthday this week, so. And he plays the drums. Look at that, a 65-year-old guy playing the drums. Dad, people make our lives frustrating, right? No, no. Dad was in management for years. He was in management for years. He, had, uh, he would go from one job to the other. I, I don't know where I get it from, but he would go from one job to the other. But he would go because they would pay him just a little bit more here or a little bit more there. Or, Dad, I think more accurately, you would probably just get frustrated with everyone at work. And you were like, you know what? I'm going to do something different. Dad had a nickname. Dad's nickname was the Terminator. Dad had very little patience for incompetent people. He did. You were late one day, okay. You come in tomorrow late, you're gone. That was dad's business. That was how he ran it, which is why I am such a disciplined individual today. No, um, <laughs> we tend to rebel against our fathers, right? Um, but again, that was his mentality because people are frustrating, I can't make a decision for you. I can't make you do what I want you to do. I can't even make you drive right. I wish I could, but I can't. Stay out of the left lane. That's my lane. <laughs> Anger, malice. All of these things shouldn't be so when we deal with other people. Slander. Guys, we do this in little ways too. We do it to get our way, right? How many times at work do we do this a day where we want to gain elevation in someone's mind over someone else? We learned this on the schoolyard. This is bullying 101. You push someone else down to make yourself greater, right? Oh, did you see what so-and-so did at work the other day? Oh, can you believe that they spent four hours on their cell phone? I mean, they were supposed to be working and they just sat there. I mean, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But can you believe them? Oh, the audacity. What are you doing? You're just slandering. You're tearing someone down to elevate yourself. These things should not be true of a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ. We need to put all of these things aside. Listen, guys. Do you understand that God is in control of all things? Is that something that is fundamental to what you believe? Do you believe, let's talk about the, the civil war for a second because we have the word malice in here. 
Abraham Lincoln in his second inaugural address. The Civil War is just about wrapping up. But he makes a statement in this inaugural address, the second one. And he says, hey, you know what? My first speech is not going to be like my second speech here. But my second speech here is different because the war is almost over. And we have a whole group of people that we need to be reconciled to. And he says a phrase and he says, with malice towards none. Can you imagine being Abraham Lincoln and saying, man, none of you guys voted for me the second time. You started a war. Uh, Our beliefs are, are fundamentally different here. How do you heal an entire half of a country? How do you bring them back in? How do you not have malice towards those individuals? 41 days later, after he gives the address, he's going to be in a theater watching a play. And someone's going to come in and they're going to put a gun to the back of his head and they're going to pull the trigger. And Abraham Lincoln will be gone. Do you guys think, if you're sitting there, Abraham Lincoln's wife, do you think that John Wilkes Booth was devious and smart enough to fool God? Do you think that pain that she experienced sitting next to her husband as he dies? You think that's, that's John Wilkes Booth being intelligent enough and devious enough to fool God? No. You know those individuals that are getting on your nerves and they're not doing what they're supposed to do? It's easy to get angry at them. Do you think that they're smart enough and devious enough? Do you think they've thwarted the plan of God somehow? Or do you think that they're in your life for a reason? See, they don't have the power. God has the power. Our attitudes towards them need to be the same of Christ. Forget about Abraham Lincoln. Forget about that person that annoys you. Think about Christ. While we were in the act of sinning, while we were nailing him to the cross, He had no malice towards us. He had no anger towards us. He willingly went to the cross for us. You think you need to defend yourself? You think you need to justify yourself? You've already been defended, Christian. You have already been justified, Christian. Do not let anyone steal your joy or change your focus Love them in spite of themselves because that is the standard that was shown to us. Put it away. Rip it off. Get rid of it. Worthless. Verse 10. If we're putting these things away, what do we put on? And having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after its own creator. The image of its creator. Guys, all of these things, we do. We need to set them aside. We need to put on Christ. Just as we just shared here, the Christian life that we live, this life that we now have in Christ, it's not our own. We've learned from from the Gospel of Matthew here that our bodies are not our own. Our life is not our own. Put on the new man. Christ said that I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. He's not just talking about eternal life. He's talking about the freedom and the life that we can experience right now. The problem is that we settle. And we go back to the old self. Proverbs talks about a dog that returns to its own vomit. That's exactly what we do. Time and time again, we're like, yeah, I'm new. I'm great. Let me just put this back on. William and Ellen, the crafts, as they devised their plan, they had to cut some things off. William cut his wife's hair short. 
He disguised her. He put on new clothes. And guess what? They pulled off the charade. They did it by living a life that was not their own. What you don't know about this story is that not only did they escape and get to Philadelphia, but on the way, they stayed in the nicest hotels. They rode on a riverboat. They had dinner with the steamboat captain. They pulled off this charade in fantastic fashion, living a life that was not their own. But guess what? There were problems and trials along the way. They were stopped several times. Ellen couldn't write. And they put her arm in a sling. They made her look like a little bit of an invalid so that she wouldn't have to write her name because she couldn't write her name. And several times they were stopped along the way. And people said, no, you will not pass. And as William and Ellen would share the story, they were not just focused on freedom and their family. They were focused on their faith in Jesus Christ. And they prayed. And they prayed. And they prayed. And God provided a way miraculously every time. Because they would say, our schemes were okay. Our disguises were all right. But God gave us the victory. God provided the way. Every time someone almost recognized them or saw through their disguise, it says that they prayed and that God granted them their freedom. Guys, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be those two. The treacherous path. You see, because for them, it truly was a matter of life and death. They had to put away the old self, the old things, and they put on something new, and they walked in faith. But it wasn't about their disguises alone. It wasn't about their schemes. It was about who they knew. Verse 11 here. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Our third point, it's about who you know. And that is Christ. I would add to that point and say, it's about who you look like. Do you look like Billy Mulligan? I hope not. I hope not. Do you look like Caleb? Or does Caleb look like Christ? Does Billy Mulligan look like Christ? Does Julie Manwarren look like Christ? Is Christ in us and is it evident in our lives? Ted and I have a little bit of a different complexion. We have very differing opinions on sports teams. But when I see Ted, I see a brother in Christ. I don't see all of those other things first and foremost. Why? Because Ted is a follower of Jesus Christ. He is a disciple of the one who took our sins and nailed them to the cross. And Ted is actively putting to death sin in his life so that he can be holy as God is holy. So that he can truly live up to not being a Boykin, not being a black man, not being a New York Giants fan, but he can truly live up to being a son of God a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of the one who has already killed sin. And Ted has the ability now through the grace of God, through the work of Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit to put these things to death in his life because of who he knows and what he looks like. I can do the same thing because of who I know and what I look like. You see the crafts? They had a rough road ahead of them. They were focused on family. They were focused on freedom. 
but they would be the first ones to tell you in heaven that they could not have done it without their focus on their faith in Jesus Christ. Guys, I want to ask you, I want to take a minute here. What is in your life that doesn't look like Christ? How do we hold one another accountable to the standard for which we've been called? How do we all start to look more and more like Christ? Because that's the goal. This is renewing in the image of the creator here that I would look less and less like Billy Mulligan every day and more and more like Jesus Christ. That you would look less and less like yourself and more and more like Jesus Christ. How do we do this? I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you feel led right now, deal with it. What is in your life that you need to put to death right now? I'm going to join you. Jesus, we want to look more like you. Father God, Lord, we we fall short so many times. God, we thank you that you sent your son and he did not fall short. Lord, that he lived up to the standard. God, I pray for each and every one of us here today. God, that we would take these things that don't look like you and put them to death. That we would mortify them. God, that we would kill them and that we would look more like you. Lord, we can only do this because we are following hard after you. We are all running this race together. God, thank you for giving us the ability to tear off these things. That they wouldn't hinder us on our race. God, we pray as we bring these things to you, Lord, that when we are tempted, Lord, when these things creep back, when we want to sneak back into the old self, God, that we would look to you and your example. God, that your Holy Spirit would convict us of these sins. Lord, and that because we are following hard after you, we are able to put these things to death. Lord, only your disciples are able to do this, and we thank you for giving us this ability through your power and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.